0: Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 1. I do want to make one last announcement. Uh, for those that have uh, been visiting or are someone who's been considering joining our church on November 29th at my house after the second service, we're going to have a luncheon. For all those that are inquiring, want to know more about our church, I invite you to come. I ask you to also, jet, what did I say? November You missed it, so you can't join now. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Oh, because I wrote something else on my paper that said November. January 29th. On January 25th, though, is the deadline uh, for that, and so please sign up. You can call the church, um, and they can make sure that you have a reservation for that. Well, this morning we'll be looking at verses 5 to 8. However, I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Father, we ask that you would indeed give us wisdom to hear you speak to us through your word in Christ's name, amen. Well, I came across a story, I'm not sure if it was in a commentary on this passage or not, but I believe it fits well for our our text today. This is how it begins. It says, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, the next he was sucked in, washed up and blown over. You see, the problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang, and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when, (laughs) soop, poor Chippy got sucked in. Uh, The owner gasped, uh, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, opened the bag. There was Chippy still alive, but he was kind of stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced him to the bathroom, turned on the faucet, and held Chippy under the running water then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate burn owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never saw it coming. <laughs> A few days, the, the writer says, after the trauma, this reporter contacted the owner and asked how the bird was recovering, and she said, well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. <laughs> and then the writer wrote, it, it's no surprise, sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart, says the writer. Now, see, that silly story, and it is a silly story, maybe not for Chippy, but it, it's, it's a silly story. It illustrates what trials can actually do for us. We're talking about trials. We did that last week. They can steal your song. See, Chippy was having a hard time, what? Counting it all joy. And see, we have the same struggle. If you do not understand the reason, if you don't understand the reason and the ultimate outcome of trials, why they're brought into our lives, if you don't understand that every single trial that you do face, every single one comes from the gracious, loving hand of your sovereign heavenly Father, and if you don't realize he's using these trials, he brings it to your life to produce endurance. You won't be able to count it all joy. In fact, verse 4 says, he's calling you through these trials to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the purpose of them. But here's the rub. We haven't been perfected yet. And we're not perfect yet, and so the potential to lose our song like Chippy did, the potential to feel sucked in during trials, to feel washed up and blown over, the potential to count it all misery, actually, rather than count it all joy, is all too real. And so what we need is help outside of ourselves, and James in this paragraph tells us that help is indeed available for us. Now, I want you to notice something here, how James connects the two paragraphs. In verse 4, what we ended with last week, complete, lacking in nothing, he says. You will be complete, lacking in nothing. And then verse 5 begins, if any of you lacks wisdom. You see the connection. The goal of trials, the purpose for them is that you may be complete, lacking in nothing spiritually. It's the goal of spiritual maturity. But in order for us to allow those trials we fall into to result in maturity, there's one thing we just can't lack, and that is wisdom. That's what James says. See, what he's saying to you is this look ahead to the future and know, and know that someday you will indeed lack nothing, you will be perfect. And so begin with the end in mind. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. But in the present, he's saying, look, I'm your pastor. I'm pretty sure there is something you do lack. You may be struggling to view these trials that you're going through in the way I've commanded you to view them. And he did command us to do it. He's saying, look, I know it's tough to do. It's not natural for a, a sinner. So what we need is wisdom. That's the point He's going to make. And before I move into our text, I want to say something about this joy we are called to express in the midst of trials. We talked about this already, but I think it bears repeating. The joy James is speaking of here is not some kind of detached uh, happiness in the face of tragedy. We go through a trial and we're just rejoicing and smiling. That's not what it's about, Uh, as if we're suffering for suffering's sake. We're not supposed to be happy in the midst of a difficult trial in that way. What James is doing in our passage is commanding you to have joy in the lesson that will be learned from the trials. Have joy in the fruit that it will produce in your life. Paul put it this way, we're sorrowful but always rejoicing. And so James is calling you not to be consumed with the trial, uh, consumed with the sorrow by the trial you are under, and consider the purpose of that trial in your life. And there is a purpose. It produces fruit, and it produces the fruit of righteousness, which brings about what we have here. You can count it all joy. That's why you can count it all joy, because what it's doing in your life, conforming you to the image of Christ, and so with that clarification, let's now look at our passage. If, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And the first thing I want you to notice is what, this, uh, what James doesn't say. And James does not say, ask, you're going through a trial. You need to first ask to be released from suffering in that trial. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even ask you for strength to endure the trial. He says, ask for wisdom. That's what you need. And there's an important lesson here when it comes to prayer. You you see, we usually, first and foremost, and we're all guilty of this, and it's not necessarily wrong, as you'll see, we ask God to remove the trial. Uh, Somebody's going through an illness, and we say, Lord, heal them. That's the very first thing we ask for when a person has the trial of sickness. And that's not wrong. James in chapter 5 is going to tell us to pray for healing. But what we need to realize is that's not always God's will. And so we, we don't stop there with our prayer. Well, I prayed for them to healed, they're not, it must not be God's will. What do I do next? We, 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 we need to realize that the first priority in prayer should be that the person will be wise in dealing with the trial that they are facing. They'll have wisdom. That's always God's will. It's not always God's will that you'd be healed. But it's always God's will that we count it all joy in the midst of a trial. It's always God's will that the trial produce endurance. It's always God's will that we become spiritually mature, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing through the trial. That's His will. And so when you pray for someone, when I pray for someone, when you pray for me, when I pray for you, when you're going through the prayer list in our, in our bulletin and see all the various trials our brothers and sisters are facing, we must resist the urge to, to, to only, I notice what I said, only pray for healing, only pray for the trial to be removed. First and foremost, we must pray that they have the wisdom that we have the wisdom to see the trial from God's perspective. And and what they need most is not freedom from the trial, said one writer, but wisdom in the midst of the trial they're going through. And, And so that begs a simple question, what does James mean by wisdom? Well, one writer calls it the skill to bear trials. It's not bad. Another says wisdom in this context implies something that helps believers to both stand and take action through life's demands. See, one thing we need to realize, and I think you probably know this, but let me say, wisdom is not equal to intelligence. Uh, uh, And yet, uh, many graduates, for example, of Yale, many graduates of various uh, colleges, maybe with several degrees, they end up making foolish decisions every day. They can be intelligent without being wise. And so wisdom is more than intelligence, it's not that it's the absence of intelligence, but it's more than that. Wisdom is the ability to take your intelligence and apply it to the problem that is in front of you at the moment. Specifically here, wisdom is the ability to see your circumstances from God's perspective. And, and, and armed with that understanding that what you're going through from God's perspective, you'll be able to apply that knowledge to your trials, what you're going through at the moment. It's being able to see the big picture uh, of the situation. Think of an example of a Persian rug. You may have heard this illustration. If you were to examine the threads of a Persian rug through a, a magnifying glass, it would just look like a tangled mess. But when you step away uh, from that, you, you see this beautiful mosaic. And uh, well, the same is true in the midst of trials. In the trial, if we we get caught up in them, it it just looks like a tangled mess. You're too close to the situation. You you don't know how you're going to get out of it. But but see, wisdom allows you to back up, take a step back, look at things from God's perspective. And what looks like in your life a tangled, hopeless mess is really something beautiful as God takes that trial and takes your life and molds you into the image Of his son. And that's why. And it's only because of that that we can count it all joy. And so the perfection and the completeness of verse four and the ability to to count your trials all joy can only be achieved. It's only going to happen when the divine wisdom of verse five is actually present in your life. And, and, and see, this kind of wisdom can only be found in one place. It, it comes from the only wise God. Proverbs 2 tells us the Lord gives wisdom. He's the source of all true wisdom. And so James says, ask him. Ask him. And then James says something amazing, and he will give it. He knows he will. He knows it. How does he know? Because he knows God. He knows the biblical God. He understands that God has taught, he's learned so much about God and all about God's promises. And so he's certain that God will fulfill his promises. The promise is great. It's a great promise. Ask for wisdom, you will receive it. It's a promise. But it's a great promise because we have a great God who makes it. And that's what you need to understand in the midst of this. James teaches us here three truths about God that we need to remember when we ask the Lord for wisdom. Well, there's a lot of attributes of God, a lot of character traits of God. James teaches us three things. First, he begins by telling us that God's very nature is to give. Uh, The first part of the verse literally reads, Let him ask from the giving God. Beloved, understand something here. You are not praying to a selfish tyrant who wants to hoard his bounty. You are not praying to a reluctant king who finds it hard to release his treasures. He's not the giving God one moment and the keeping God the next. He is always the giving God. That's who you're praying to, the giving God. That's the first truth. Second, James teaches us that God's giving is unrestricted. He gives generously to all. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all. Now, that, that Greek word for generously has a, a, an interesting history and etymology. In the beginning, it meant single-mindedness, and that's how it's used in first, Second Corinthians 11. Um, of our devotion to the Lord. It's single-mindedness. Ephesians 6, 5, it's it's used of a slave's loyalty to his master. Uh, Again, selflessness or exclusive preoccupation with the master. But when we turn to Romans 12, what happens is the same word is used in in the context of giving. Uh, Having a ministry of generosity has to do with giving. And so it goes from selflessness... And this exclusive preoccupation to being generous. Now, that's the, the, the trajectory of the word. Well, in our verse, all those ideas are brought together. One commentator says, James is saying the giving God has a selfless, single-minded, total concern for us. It's an exclusive preoccupation as if God had nothing else to do but give and give and give and give to his people. That's what James is saying. When you pray, that is who you're praying to a giving God who wants to pour out his wisdom upon you and he wants to do it liberally and in such a way that it seems that the only reason he exists is to create you and then pour out his wisdom upon you. That's what gives him the most delight, as it were. That is your God. That is who you serve. That is who you pray to. He has an abundance of wisdom, an abundance of it, and he wants you to ask him for it. That's the second truth. Third truth James teaches us about God is that he gives without reproach. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Now to give without reproach means that God will not give regudgingly or by insulting you in the process. Uh, The uh, the NIV translates it without finding fault. That's how we give, right? Yeah, I, I, you go to someone and you ask them for some money, they give it to you. Then you go back and you say, well, didn't you just ask for that last week? Ah, oh, you can't be trusted, and, and we ex- I expect more from you, but here, here's your money. I'll give it to you, you loser, right? <laughs> That's what it means to give with reproach. I'm willing to do it, but I'm going to make you feel terrible in the process. Well, God doesn't do that. God will never say, didn't you ask last month for wisdom, and you're asking again? Wasn't that enough? Stop bothering me. It's not like that, right? That's not God. God will never chide you like that or scold you for asking. And the truth is the opposite. The more frequently you come to the giving God for wisdom, the more welcome you are. That's the image that James is portraying to us here. It's the very nature of God to to be giving. And when he gives, he gives without limit. And when he gives, he gives without finding fault. He never tires of doing good for his people. Never. And so you know what that means? It means if we don't have the wisdom to count it all joy when facing trials, either one, we're not saved, so God's made no promise to us, Two, we haven't asked, and so we haven't received. Or three, we haven't asked in faith with no doubting. That's what we learn here in verses 6 to 8. Look there. But you have a giving God. He wants to pour out his bounty of wisdom upon you. All you have to do is ask. But when you ask, ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, verse 5 was positive. You're praying to the giving God, and he wants to be generous and give. This verse is a challenge. One commentator said, Verse 5 establishes the unquestionable sincerity of God who desires your progress and holiness and therefore will not withhold from you the wisdom needed to mature. Verse 6 to 8, however, raises the question of your sincerity. Are you committed to God, or are you trying to keep a door open to the world? Do you have a foot in both camps? God's mind is clear. I want to give. But are you double-minded? That's what James is saying. Now, the doubt here is not intellectual doubt. It's a conflict of loyalties, (laughs) It's not a question of whether God exists, but about the kind of God he is. Is he true to his word? Can he be trusted? Is he truly a giving God? Basically, the thought is that of making up your mind between different alternatives. A person who doubts in this way is not committed to either way. They kind of take a neutral path. And so the opposite of faith here is not unbelief but a doubt that draws you in two different directions. And James is going to illustrate that for us by pointing us to the ocean. The doubter, he says, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You're blown in all different directions. And a and, and picture cork is kind of floating on the surge of the sea. It's driven and tossed by the wind, first going one way, then it's going back the other way. The waves cannot make up their mind. And neither can the one who doubts. He's a double-minded man, James says, unstable in all his ways. That's verse 8. Now, the the Greek word here for double-minded, it's only found in James. It it means two-souled or a divided soul. It doesn't mean two-faced. It means facing both ways. This person is for the Lord. They're ready to worship and they want to persevere in prayer. That's all true. And at the same time, they're clinging to the world. And they are attempting to face two ways simultaneously toward the world and toward the Lord. And the result of such a man, James says, is he's unstable in all his ways. He's like the man who has his feet in two rowboats, uncertain which way he wants to go. And eventually, what's going to happen? He's going to fall. And so the point, beloved, is if you're not stable with God, you'll not be stable at all. If you're a double-minded man or woman, you will never keep a steady course. And in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm that you face, you'll never have rest in that trial. You'll never have peace. Your life will be like the tangled mess that you think it is when you're looking only at the trial. Now, let me be clear on something as you're thinking through this. This is not a name-it-or-claim-it verse. It's not claiming that if you just muster up enough faith, if you really try hard, you will get whatever you ask. And if you don't receive the blessing, well, it's because your faith wasn't strong enough. That's not the meaning of this. Remember the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9? He got what he needed. Jesus healed him even after he confessed this. I believe, but help my unbelief. And so James is not asking you to suppress your doubts or or drum up enough emotional feeling of certainty to so that you will get away get what you want and kind of pretend that you don't have doubts. What James is saying, I'm calling you to a commitment. I want you to make a commitment. The doubt here has not, and not the doubt that God will do something specific, but you kind of doubt in general. It's a doubt about following God is worth the effort. I mean, you do it. He's not speaking of the strength of your faith, but the quality of your endurance. If you want wisdom, you must ask for it, and then you must endure in it if you desire to have it. Otherwise, James says, you must not suppose that you will receive anything from the Lord. And so here's the challenge. Will you wholeheartedly commit to God, or will you vacillate? Will you believe the Bible when it says that God is a giving God, that He's a a generous God who desires to pour His wisdom into your heart like a, a waterfall, or will you just doubt it? Well, I don't know. Maybe He's like that. See, this wisdom won't come automatically. It is gained by self effort and thought. It won't be gained by this self effort, right? Or or by thoughtless prayers. If you're going to receive this wisdom that you so desperately need, by the way, that we all need when we face trials, you must ask in faith. Literally, the passage reads you must keep on asking in faith, you must persevere. And so it's a call to a commitment, a long-term commitment. It's a call to believe the, the biblical truth about God and who He is. It's a call to trust in His promises as they're laid out in the Word. It's a call to persist in prayer, asking for wisdom. It's a call to faith, a faith in a God who gives, who gives His Son for your salvation and gives you wisdom to endure. It's a call to surrender your heart to God through Jesus Christ. That's what James is calling us to. You see, at times, beloved, you may feel sucked in or washed up and blown over. You may have lost your song because of the trial that you're going through. But God desires to restore your joy. I can remember when I first got saved, somebody saying, why would you follow the Lord? Are you willing to give up all your fun, i.e. your joy? As if God doesn't want to do that. Give you joy. He wants to restore your joy. Even in the midst of the trial that you're facing. And I can't think of a better example of this. I'm going to end here. I can't think of a better example of this than Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know the story, I'll close with this. Most of you do know it. She was paralyzed from the neck down in a diving accident when she was just 17 years old. And she wrote about her trial in the book, Johnny. This is what she had to say. God engineered the circumstances. He used them to prove himself as well as my loyalty. Not everyone had this privilege. Had this privilege. I felt there was only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this kind of And she's counting it all joy. Oh, she's just better than no. I'm sure in the early days she struggled. In fact, if you listen, if you've listened to her talk, she's talked about how people said she didn't have enough faith because she wasn't being healed. It doesn't take much faith to want to be healed. It takes great faith in a great God to be able to stay in that condition and never be healed. See, that is God's wisdom on how to endure a major major trial with joy. She didn't get that wisdom from the world. She didn't make it up herself and pretend that this wasn't bad. It came from God, and it came through his word. And the point is, beloved, James is telling us we all need this wisdom. And you're giving God if you ask He's ready to bless you with it. Let's pray now. Father, we do ask that you would indeed bless us with this wisdom. So long we spend our lives fretting over our trials rather than trusting in our God, and we pray that you would help us to do that, that we may count it all joy. In Christ's name, amen.